Invisible Threads, a Go Loud original. I'm James O'Hagan, and from LGBT Ireland, this is Invisible Threads, a Go Loud original podcast. You can find out more information about LGBT Ireland and the work which we do for older members of the LGBTQ community on our website, lgbt.ie. In this episode, I'm speaking with Tom, a 66-year-old gay man originally from Limerick, who now lives in Wicklow. I first met Tom in mid-2020, when he joined the LGBTI plus Older and Bolder online community, which LGBT Ireland had established in April 2020 as a way to help older LGBTQ people connect and to combat loneliness and isolation which had been created by the pandemic restrictions. When Tom began to join our weekly coffee mornings, he was quiet. You got the sense that he was someone who was deep-minded and very thoughtful and deliberate in how and when he chose to speak. Over time, however, a wicked sense of humour and an outspoken advocate streak started to emerge. Through Tom's contribution to the group, I got to know him as someone who had a remarkably eclectic group of hobbies and someone who was equally passionate and knowledgeable about each one. Whether he was figuring out tips and tricks to achieve the most perfect sound quality from his record player, understanding and mastering the psychology of ninjutsu, a martial art in which he trained to black belt level, or honing his performance abilities as a runner to a level where he was selected to represent Ireland as an over 65s master athlete in Europe, he took extraordinary pride in learning and improving his skills. I started by asking Tom about his experience of growing up in Limerick. I grew up in Limerick, you know, basically... Good old-fashioned Limerick, very conservative city in Ireland that, you know, there was nothing extraordinary happened. And, like, Limerick is, how would I put it, it's a very big, small town. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows everybody. Like, basically, I was just uh, an average kid and just, like, I just, like, my, my parents got on very well and they had a very good, solid relationship and that's what I wanted all I ever wanted in life was to be very ordinary I suppose when did you start to to feel like there might be something that wasn't quite the same as 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 other guys or that other other guys were developing I I remember I moved to Dublin in the early 80s Mm -hmm. and I hung around with a few people and there was a particular guy that I got to like an awful lot. And basically, I developed an almighty crush on this fellow. And I knew, this is a little bit odd here, what's going on. And like you, you looked up then the back of the In Dublin magazine, if you remember it, that's going back a good bit. And there was men meeting men sections in it. So I began to put two and two together and went, oh dear, and that's when I phoned the, found the number for the gay helpline and phoned them and talked to a few people in the Hirschfield Centre. And that was a revelation to me. You know, up until then, I had been going out to discos and nightclubs with the lads. And any time I was at a disco, things like that, nightclub, I was so incredibly tense and uncomfortable, and I just didn't know why. And then I went to the disco they had in the Hirschfield Centre, and I just felt at home. 
And that that must have been, I suppose, like as a time period to start moving into the gay community a bit. I suppose at that time, did you say I'm gay or was it more just like, I'm not going to question why I'm enjoying or why I'm liking this? Like, I mean, I never put, uh, like sometimes I'd say I'm gay or I have sexual thoughts about men. It was like as if I had two parts of me, one which was your ordinary pint drinking lad and then there was the other part that snuck off to these nightclubs and pubs that I occasionally snuck off. It was my guilty little secret. I had firmly locked away in one part of my personality. That was sort of a little bit that I kept secret. And I sometimes even tried to keep it secret for myself. Yes. How hard was it living with that? It, 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 was, it was quite difficult, all right. But I mean, a lot of times you just learn to ignore it and you go out for points and things like that. But uh, there was times when I felt extremely depressed and sometimes suicidal. What were you afraid of? Well, no, I, it was something that I would dip into occasionally. I mean, that was really it. I would go, I'd sneak off and go to the, the pub or particularly the nightclub in the Hirschfield Centre. You know, I found that really good. Like, it's just, I just felt so right in, in that place where I, where I was a very tense, shy person otherwise but there I was like I certainly found that that I was able to socialize and chat and give chat up lines to strangers which I just couldn't do before at that stage I was going out and being comfortable in big crowds which I normally wouldn't be you know which was very strange for me but at that stage then I decided I couldn't go on like that so I got an appointment with a doctor and looked for a psychologist that would help me get rid of those desires. Was it a decision of, I need to stamp this gay thing out? Or was it a decision of, I need to go and speak to someone to kind of figure out what's no, going I, on? Basically, I need, to, I need to stop these gay thoughts so that I can meet a girl and settle down and have a normal life. You know, that, that I, it's just I wanted to basically... Settle down, have your average home, wife, kids, that sort of thing. That was what I wanted in life. But that's uh, one, it was one of those things that I said, no, like, I knew this double life was causing me a lot of stress. And like, the, yes. that the person yeah. that I had this huge almighty crush on, like it was more unrequited love than a crush. I knew he was as straight as a die. Uh, I mean, fabulous looking guy, more importantly, absolutely gorgeous personality. But I wouldn't have done anything, like I wouldn't have approached it because I knew it would have hurt him if I had said anything. You know, so I mean, it was like I needed to get rid of that conflict within my myself. And that pain oh, yeah. as well, I, I assume, that sort of longing and loss and, and sort of... Um... <laughs> Knowing that a life that and not that I couldn't have a normal life. Where did that pressure to to have a normal life is? Was that something that that was coming from within yourself, or was that coming something that had come from your parents? Or no, it was within myself. You know, yeah. it was definitely it was. I wanted the normal life. I wanted the ordinary thing. I didn't want to be going out with the lads drinking all the time. For all that I enjoyed that, yeah. I wanted a nice, quiet, normal life, and that just was not there. 
And what was that experience, I suppose, of trying to address this this issue medically? What was that experience like? Well, it was a service provided by the mental health service uh, the, of what was then the health board at the time. And basically, at the time, the best scientific thinking was that sexuality was a learned was a learned behavior, and the person assumed the psychologist assumed that once I had sex with a woman, all my thoughts would disappear. You know, like didn't quite work like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if only life was that simple. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You went to your GP, I assume, and kind of said, look, this is something I'm struggling with. And they referred you on to a psychologist who then kind of over the course of a number of sessions, like what were those sessions like? Conversion therapies varies from what is called the the playboy version right up to the uh, electroshock torture type of thing. Uh, Now, I did what's called the the playboy version, which is basically... uh, Think of women and take matter in hand, if you know what I mean. Yes, okay. So, you know, so like basically when you're when you're having fun by yourself, you're to think of women. You're to you're to target your your thinking towards <laughs> towards women. Towards girls. Yeah. Yeah. How did that work? Like did did it work for you at any well, point or, or all it did for me was left me completely confused. Yeah. You know, I mean the mind was just confused. That was about the the, the closest it came to doing anything. And just to to because I want to I want to chat to you a bit because obviously you're you you made the decision that this was you you were cutting off the 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 gay side and you were pursuing the the normal life but um at a, at a point then you you came out and you came became comfortable with yourself. What what do you think the hangover of putting yourself through that that was as you decided to acknowledge your sexuality and come out like do you think that that you carried with you a shame or sort of a sadness from from I suppose from doing that to yourself well I what is what was more or less I'd say it locked me away within it locked a big part of me away within myself mm. you know and honestly what had happened was that like yeah i got married and uh, did my best when i was when i was married and had the normal life of a married man but uh, over the years i got more and more there was a creeping depression coming in all the time at one stage, I was just sitting down the couch with my other half and just started crying for no apparent reason. I had previous, about a week before I had, or a couple of months before I had, started to phone the uh, gay married men's group or people in my position because I knew things weren't right. And at one stage, I was sitting down the sofa and just cried and couldn't help myself. And I don't cry. I am not uh, somebody who cries. I, I was always somebody who never showed emotion, really, because I had trained myself not to feel. To control it, yeah. And what was it like, I suppose, in the lead up to it? So it was like you, you, you got married and I suppose you lived then alongside this sort of this this other part of your identity that was was locked away and buried and and as you said this was you you begun contacting the married gay men's groups and so so there was an awareness or an acknowledgement within you of what was going on how was it living with that like was it a case that you could parcel it away and pack it away and forget about it 
sort of for months at a time or was it something yeah. that was sort of consistently it was something that I could let's say uh, get drawn into and then sort of completely deny it lock it away if I could and then according as I got more depressed I'd it would come up again oh you know, it was one of those uh, one of those strange sort of compartmentalizing of part of my internal psyche, separate parts of me that I could put things away in little boxes. But like, unfortunately, the human psyche isn't a compartment; doesn't have compartments. No, everything bleeds together. It's no, all part it, of a single uh, identity. Yeah, we're basically humans are one big woolly emotional mess. You were also seeing, I suppose, a, a shift in Irish society around inclusivity for gay people. There was more representation yeah. being presented. Were you following that? Were you sort of what looking at that with I, this part I, of yourself? I was looking at that, and like even in the the soaps and the things like that, and like Stephen Gately coming out and people like that coming out. Those were things that I. My ears would pick up with those things. You know, I remember one of the storylines in Coronation Street, there was a young lad dealing with his sexuality uh, before he was coming out. And I, I just so identified with that. Like he was a lad drinking in the Rover's Return and you could see the, the tension, the, the fear, the not wanting to recognise it in his acting. And, the, and that, the visibility of it, where... Homosexuality wasn't just the John Inman's and Kenneth Williams. That wasn't the the only visual or the only representation of homosexuality. There were other people that were just very ordinary people that happened to be homosexual. As you were seeing more and more of the actual LGBT identity, which is just people of all walks of life. Yeah, more, more real ordinary people that happen to be homosexual. And do you think that that also sort of was contributing to you sort of going back more and more and more to that other identity? Or like, do, do you think that the like increase in visibility for LGBT people was creating a need in you to address well, it was, the feelings? It, it was... Um, Brushing away the cobwebs on the inside of the closet for me. That's the way, you know, I still had to get the claw hammer to remove the planks from the inside of the closet that I'd firmly nailed. And you said that you had, you went and, and joined and took part in a few of the sort of married men's um, peer support group. Those are the sort of services that, I mean, we, we still operate those services in LGBT Ireland today and they are still like accessed by men around the country who are in the exact same position that you were in back then who had gotten married because the idea it was inconceivable to them that that they would that, that they they would be gay or they would come out and this is even young men like people who, who would be in their their, their 20s or 30s are still in that position yes. now how did you build up the courage and, and what was that process of building up the courage to come out first to yourself and then to your family well it's Somebody put it like this, uh, that you get to a position where the pain of changing your situation has to be less than the pain of staying where you are. Because like the, the pain of coming out and having this conflict with your spouse and uh, rearranging what everybody thinks of you and things like that, the pain of that has to be less than the pain of staying where you are. Both routes are going to be painful. Which is least painful? Like you have to sort of say, well, can I go on, keep going the way I'm going on? 
Because you can't, you, okay, you have to pick another painful choice of changing things, of coming out. The most important person to be honest to is yourself. Just the, the sheer fact of living a life where I don't have to pretend anything at all. Is and a, having carried for years yeah. that, that secret. Yeah, yeah, it, it is because like, it's, like you don't have to watch what you say, what you do. You stop watching yourself and you're then living life. The energy that you have put in to watching yourself and controlling yourself is, is now redirected to other things, to learning how to relax. You know? And the ability to be able to give a one-liner quip back to somebody without having to think is great. That's like that freedom is is exactly like that is such a huge freedom and not having to reprimand yourself and look over every interaction you've had to figure out whether was that appropriate was that right will they have understood this in this way it's such a freedom then to just be yourself While everyone's experience is different and everyone's journey through life is unique, there are a common set of issues which we all face at different times or which impact certain groups of people at different times in their lives. I chatted with clinical psychologist and head of the Department of Psychology at St. Vincent's University Hospital, Dr. Paul Dalton, about a few of these more common issues, how they affect people, where they have come from and what we can do to confront them. Ireland used to be one of the most socially conservative nations in Europe. Such was the pressure to conform that many LGBTQ people denied their identities and went to enormous lengths to fit in, including seeking medical and psychological avenues to try and change their sexual orientation or gender identity. Paul spoke to me about the social circumstances which led people to engage in these dangerous and discredited practices and his admiration for the resilience of people who lived through these times. Without love, we don't survive you know, from, from the moment we come into the world, our well-being and actually our very lives are dependent on, on love and the care of other human beings. Gays, straight, whoever we are, we go to huge lengths to be accepted and loved by other human beings. And many of us make huge sacrifices in order to, to fit in. And we lived in uh, an Ireland you know, you had to conform. It was a black and white country. You know, there was there was no colour. There were no shades of grey. And the control that was exerted over people and the damage that that did to people, we will be feeling for many, many, many generations to come. The lives that were interrupted in that form of a fundamentalist state and I think really important to say the resilience that we also saw that many individuals who actually defied that, that strong arm of the state that they found themselves in, the state highly aligned or some would say controlled by the Catholic Church. So there were huge examples, many, many and huge examples of people who nonetheless found their voice and found their way and that to me is just a, an incredible testament to human resilience but but the comparative the reparative therapy or imagine to repair so lgbt people are broken and need to be repaired the control the coercion was so strong that sometimes lgbt people sought that therapy out themselves 
that's that's heartbreaking and the shame on mental health professionals who administer it and continue to administer it in your, your coming out, I suppose you had just sort of dropped it into to conversation and made it just be sort of a part of a natural flow of things rather than yeah. kind of, you know, doing a big dramatic kind of coming out um, story. But I suppose with, say, like, were, were your parents still? No, my, my mother was alive, but she was well into her 90s. When I was young, I had told my mother that I was, uh, was seeing a shrink and I told her why. And when I got married, she was oh, so delighted. Uh, I used to go down and mind my mother every second or third weekend and give my older brother, who is full-time caring, for a break. Several times I went down and was about to phone them or tell my sister or whatever. One time I was talking with my younger brother and he was giving out about some neighbour of my sister that was found snogging a guy in the bedroom. And he was giving out and uh, I was defending the guy all the time. And so I got so annoyed and I said, George, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm one of them. And the jaw literally hit the floor. But that was how I came out to him. Then about uh, quite a few months later, I built up the courage and sent everybody a text. And later that night, my sister came over and we had a big old chat. Then my one of my brothers then came over. He doesn't read texts, so I had to tell him. And I said, I have to tell you something. And I said, and he says, God, I thought it was something serious, you know. And then my oldest brother, I phoned him and we were talking about things. And he said, did you get my text? He said, yeah. And he said, and? Yeah, I got your text. No problem. Yeah, that's grand. So uh, what do we do next weekend? That was, <laughs> that was I mean, that's that's sort of amazing, isn't it? Because I suppose like your, your siblings would all have been, they all would have grown up through that similar kind of society that, that you, you grew up in. So that like, they, they would have come from a time when revealing an LGBT identity would have been such a such a massive shame and a concern and just to be like okay that's that's fine you know that this is you know this is who you are that's that's okay we'll we'll deal with that like that must have been a weight off your shoulders were you worried of course I was worried you know my older brother my oldest brother now when he was uh younger he had made some comments that were quite homophobic you know, that he just didn't like that sort of thing, thought they were disgusting. But I think him growing up and growing older and having interesting things happen in his career and having two kids sort of educated him. Uh, so what, he just didn't have a problem. He, like, it wasn't an issue. But I want to, uh, to ask you a bit of it now. I suppose it's like you went through that period of coming out and sort of, I suppose, accepting yourself. And and, and I know from, from chatting to you, and I'll ask you a bit about it as well, that you, I suppose, you became quite involved in the gay community that you canvassed and campaigned for, for marriage equality. And I suppose you, you've made it something that like now is a, is a big part of your life. What were those first steps back into the gay community? What was that like for you? When I came out initially, because I was married, I didn't cheat or to have an affair. Because I was still married, I still loved and respected my my wife. But I would have gone out to meet through the married men's group and things like that. And then when the uh, marriage equality thing came up, I sort of campaigned on Facebook and through social media and then went out and joined a group to knock door to door. And on that, very, very good. But I never sort of socially engaged with the thing as I, I still need to go out and 
meet a lot more gay people. I'm not meeting that many gay people. I need to go out and engage more socially because I, I can quite honestly, I would love a bit of a romance. You know, I'm more of a closet romantic than anything else. I, I, I would genuinely like to meet somebody, but I, w- I would like to meet and get to know somebody rather yeah. than like, even like that first guy that I fell madly in love with. It, personality really was the big thing for me you know personality is is the is the magic being intelligent and have a nice personality are just the big big things for me in a person it sounds like you're you're part of quite a nice community where you're living now oh yeah i am yeah yeah um, and obviously i mean covid is is going to have impacted the amount of time you're able to see and get out and sort of actively do stuff as part of the community. Do you feel like you have a, a decent support network now for yourself? I do. In that, that, that I would have the the older and border group. I'd have the married men's group. Uh, my, my sisters and my brothers are are there as well to talk to and things like that. You know, so it's just like it's the lockdown. Really, is the awkward bit. But the loneliness of lockdown is nothing towards the loneliness that I had before I came out. I found, even though I was with a lot of people in social groups, I was a lot lonelier internally when I was when I was in my own private closet than yes. I was in lockdown. It is, is very much worth it, would you it say? It is phenomenal. Like it, yeah. like, like it, you, a lot of people, like, particularly who wouldn't go through that sexuality, like a lot of straight people, they don't know how important it is to be truly yourself. And like, people say, oh yeah, that's just sort of airy-fairy, new-agey, waffly stuff. Until you are not yourself for a long while, you don't realise how important it is to be truly yourself. If you were given the option to change your, your identity, would you? Um, not now. If I could, yeah, I would have been happier. But it's not something you could do. I think the most important thing, I wouldn't change now because I've learned to appreciate the importance of being true to myself. You know, it's a, uh, I would say that like I would be somebody who would be more a peacemaker and within a family and a generally a peacemaker and somebody who was always inclined to calm things down throughout my life. And I think that is part of my me being gay is that I was always a peacemaker. Like my mother told me that when I was a very small child before going to school, that the neighbours used to ask to send me over to play with their kids because I was the, always the one who canned things down. <laughs> you know, so, like, I mean, there, there were loads of little hints. My sister, when I only found out this recently, my younger sister, uh, or my only sister, she was always embarrassed about the way all her brothers dressed so badly, except for me. <laughs> you know, but, it, like, it's... Sexuality is just part of a totality of a person. And I think if I change my sexual or- orientation... I would have changed a lot and of a very different person. And it sounds like you've, I suppose, like over the last couple of years, as you've probably gotten to know yourself better and become more confident and, and settled within yourself, you, you know, do you see a need for more, like those men's sheds and, and, and more sort of encouraging for 
men, gay, straight, of all types to to be more open and to build like longer lasting friendships and to create more support for each other? Yeah, I, I would see that like it is it is something that is quite important. And a lot of it is you have to facilitate the way men socialize men so like a lot of times uh men socialize at work you know uh, it's there's a classic statistic as or oh, i don't know if it's still true but years ago um when civil servant male civil servants when they retire they're more inclined to go downhill and die early you know because their their socialization was based around what they did, and where the men sheds fulfill that in that the men go down and they do something, or like it's here, it's the local tidy towns committee. Men go out on a Friday evening and they do something, and then they go for the pint afterwards, and they. Start talking about uh, doing this bit of the road or that bit of the road or whatever, and then they'd end up talking about all the things that would drop in and then drop out of that sort of conversation, you know. Yeah. And a lot of times, people will drop things in about their lives in the middle of a conversation, and then it'll go back to a normal, the usual lads' conversation about whatever. You know what I mean? I think that's how I came out in. The local pub, like two different stories about coming out. We were talking about, oh yeah, I said, oh, I still get on with my ex. I said, the only reason we separated because we had similar interests. We both like men. <laughs> the guy sort of, you could see the brain collapse. And then the next day he came in and said, that was the funniest way I've ever heard of anybody coming out. You know, so those are the type of things that, that's the way men yeah. it. If you were to speak to someone in the same situation that you were in back in 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 the the early early eighties, now what what advice would you would you have? Learn to accept who you are. Back then, it would have been quite difficult because there was no route to a normal life. Well, not that I could, I could have seen, and no amount of convincing me not to try to be straight would have worked but now a lot of people now of my age who's living now is a different thing I would say it's so important you have to accept yourself and you have to accept others whether you're straight or gay you are unique and the person you're going to fall in love with is going to be different from this person somebody else will fall in love with there's nothing you can do about it Accept who you are and find people who love you for who you are as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you need to be your authentic self. Like I got the opportunity to represent Ireland in the over 60s European Championships a couple of years ago. I was over there very much as an old so ran, but I had an Irish t-shirt on, you know, something I'm really proud of. But in order to that I could give of my best, I had to say, no, I need to be my authentic self. And that's when I start, made the decision to literally come out to the fellow athletes that were there and to come out overall to other athletes that I knew. 
Now, I have been outed to one of my fellow club athletes, but she was keeping it quite quiet. So, no, when I was over there, I said, no, in order to give off my best, I need to be me without apology. So I just sort of um, dropped it in conversation rather than actually sit down and tell people. But that's, I mean, that's really good to hear because I do think it, it, it oftentimes people have various different experiences and it depends on the background they're coming from. And it sounds like you bring an awful lot of enthusiasm towards getting yourself involved. Like I think what, what you were talking about throughout your life, you've, you've accessed the help when you've needed it. Yeah. You've spoken to the people you need to speak to. You've gone and you've, you became involved in the gay running group and, and sort of have plans to kind of, you know, do the hill walk group. And I think that for a lot of men, because I think for a lot of men, the idea of proactively seeking out companionship or 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 or, or kind of like seeking out those sort of supports is seen as a weakness, and and that weakness is something that they have that that is like too much to overcome sometimes. Yeah. So they sit isolated or lonely rather than going to look for the help or the support or the companionship that they need. Well, I think in looking for support, and a lot of it is you need to get to a stage where you're looking for support early because if you get very down and depressed within yourself, you feel less and less able or comfortable enough to go and seek help. You know, the the help should be, mental health should be a situation where it's, the accessibility to mental health supports and emotional supports should be almost in your face. It should always be some place where there's a sticker for the Samaritans or for anything like that. It's a very good site for younger people in uh, belong to and people like that. You know that, but there's also other services run by the health service is uh, spunot.ie, which covers young people. And that having that available at any stage, you know, no matter who you are, it's important to have uh, support services visible, particularly for the people that access it early. If you have a little bit of a cold and look after yourself, you'll be grand. But that's exactly it. It's encouraging people not to wait until it's a crisis that they can't ignore. And part of that is removing the stigma of seeking support. And then part of that as well of making sure that it is absolutely in your face where you can find it. Yeah. What is something that I suppose today's LGBT community could do for older LGBT people? Listen to their stories and remember that being a sexual being doesn't stop when you reach 50. Sometimes I would say that a lot of younger people think old people don't have a sexuality. They're just old. They know that three sexualities or a couple of sexualities as gay, straight, bisexual, and then there's old, which really isn't a sexuality. Yeah. What are your hopes for the future? As somebody who's going to be retiring shortly, you know, I'm starting a new section in my life. I would like to meet somebody and have a romance, you know, like to be able to walk down down a road and want to hold somebody's hand. That's sort of a, you know, stupid, silly, romantic things that are just sort of kind of normal. Like I remember 
shortly after coming out, somebody said, basically at 50 odd, I have to learn things that I should have learned at 13. That journey, for all that can, might be intimidating. It should be an exciting and really fun journey for the rest of my life. You know, that's the main thing, to, to live the life that I was meant to live and have fun living that life. When I was chatting to Tom about what he hoped people would take away from this series, he said that he felt it was very important to make people aware of Irish social history in all its aspects, because it tells us where we've come from so we don't go back there again. He said that it's important for younger members of the LGBTQ community to hear stories like his, where fear of his identity led him to depression and conversion therapy. And he felt by taking ownership of our history, we could guard against complacency and ensure we don't begin to see a reversal of the progress which we've made so far. With the rise of the far right and attacks on LGBTQ freedoms and liberties becoming more and more frequent, I do have to agree. He said that in wider Irish society, we must all take ownership of the wrongs inflicted on marginalised peoples in our past. From women to gay people to members of the travelling community, it's important to remember the way we treated those people and to learn from that history to ensure that marginalised people in our society today are not similarly written off. In recording the interviews for this series... It's remarkable to me that despite the breadth of experience and the difference of the lives lived by the eight individuals who participated, there's one area of consistency. Each and every one said the same thing, that the most important thing that we can do to become a more compassionate and inclusive society is listen to the stories of those of experienced marginalisation and face discrimination. So thank you for listening to this episode of Invisible Threads. For more information about LGBT Ireland, the National Support Service for LGBTQ People and the work which we do for old members of the LGBTQ community or to donate to help us continue our work, please visit lgbt.ie. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode and need to talk, LGBT Ireland operate the National LGBT Helpline, which is available on 1890 929 539. We have also included details of other organisations that offer advice, support and information in the show notes. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. This project has received funding from the Government of Ireland's Launchy Care Integration Fund 2019.